daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Well, hello. Welcome back to the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Reboot. Revamped. Uh, ready to roll. Uh, it's July 10th, 2020. Even though it doesn't feel like it because the world's been turned upside down. This is the first Inside the Gamecocks podcast since March 25th. Uh, going to kind of get things cranked back up, bringing you guys, me, uh, some guests, uh, some Tony, uh, to talk a little Gamecock football and other stuff, and other stuff. I think that uh, part of what, I guess, makes this work as a podcast uh, is to maybe just let it all out and talk and, uh, you know, talk about what's on your mind. I'm not going to get too political because nobody wants to hear that <laughs> these days. I think you can turn on a variety of channels and other shows, and I can recommend some for you uh, to really get into the weeds on the politics. But, you know, we're going to talk about what's going on and how it impacts the Gamecocks, because that's I think that's very, very important. I don't think you can hide from it. Um, I know those of you that remember the BigSpur.com, when you're talking about writing something on a message board, you know, you, you kind of look at the media and, and user-generated content and some of the policies people are pursuing these days. You know, there's a reason we don't get into the weeds on the message board. Uh, and we're not going to here, but it's going to be a little bit more of a, you know, if I say something, I, I may not I may not post this on the message board. Um, or I probably would. I don't know. But um, just kind of wanted for you big spur people to, to kind of understand the policy here because I, I don't want it to be like, well, J.C., was talking about this all day on the podcast, and we can't discuss it. Well, it's written, so it's different. And I'm, 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 I'm not saying there'll be a conflict with that either. For those of you that aren't on the Big Spur, welcome back. Sorry for taking so long to do this. Uh, you, you, you have been able to hear me. We've been doing a lot of JC and Morgans, and I'll be honest with you folks. Part of the reason I just did the JC and Morgan is really the whole topic is unless you get into recruiting which plenty of people cover out there and, and we will talk some recruiting here in a sec you know the whole thing is is college football going to happen and and the other thing is I'll tell you this I was I was a little depressed I mean because I'm like well if there's no gamecocks this year no college football you know my goodness that's that's kind of what I do and um you know, so I just kind of wasn't feeling getting on talking about nothing. Uh, obviously, there's been plenty to talk about. I probably could have, but I felt like J.C. and Morgan, you know, I, I felt like, you know, I have a weekly appearance on the J.B. and Goldwater show every Wednesday that streams on YouTube and Podbean and uh, is an outstanding show. You know, I felt like that would kind of suffice for a while, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought about you know, I, I need to get back into this. You know, I need to get back into Inside the Gamecocks. Um, and I'm still going to be doing all the other stuff, uh, but I need to get back to where I directly talk to you about the things going on uh, around the University of South Carolina. And, and 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 I think that there's a need for that. You know, I, I know local radio kind of goes back and forth. And, you know, I think, I think in local radio in Columbia – you know, is fine as far as Gamecock talk. I think elsewhere it's, it's kind of non-existent. So uh, around the state of South Carolina and beyond. Uh, so those of you that live in Atlanta, live in Charlotte, live in the upstate, the low country, though I would recommend the JB and Goldwater show as a streaming thing or a podcast. Uh, you know, hey, I think that this serves a need. 
Um, those of you that are, you know, listening to Keith's podcast, the, my former podcast too, you know, keep that up. Uh, I think he's still grinding daily. I've been a guest a couple of times, and I'll be a guest on the 500th episode of Lot on the Gamecocks coming up uh, for patrons only. So I, you know, I, I felt like I should get back in, and um, and it was always going to come back. I kind of thought maybe more toward the start of the season, but I just couldn't wait anymore. You know, to get back in and sort of relaunch, and uh, and you know, we've got lots of things. The good news about all this is, is the technology's gotten better. You know, with Zoom, uh, you know, it's easier to get guests on. Um, so we'll have some guests for you. Uh, it's easier to get Tony or Whittle uh, or whoever uh, to jump on and talk, and, and and not only those guys, but um, you know, some other guys, Josh Pate, uh, a lot of the folks that I know uh, nationally. Uh, around the country that I've met doing recruiting for years and heck maybe even just some funny people you know I think we all like to laugh so (laughs) maybe even just somebody to get on and 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 shoot the breeze a little bit here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast all right so here's the question and we've got a lot of news and this is being recorded on July the 10th in the morning Uh, Hale McGranahan who works for me on the Big Spur says he thinks this may be the biggest news dump Friday uh, in college football history. Uh, and what a news dump Friday is, for those that don't know, in, in politics and, you know, in other spots, when you have bad news or, or, or not so pleasant news, you usually release it at about 4.30 on a Friday. And that way everybody's kind of at the end of, you know, they're at the bar at happy hour. They're getting ready to go out to eat. You know, they're getting ready for the weekend. They've hit the road to the beach house. You know, they don't really hear about it. And I don't know that these days that's as much uh, of a deal because we all carry around news machines in our pockets with our phones. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's still sound strategy if you don't want an uproar. Um, of course, the uproars these days take place virtually on a platform called Twitter, which, you know, don't get me started on that. But uh, so yesterday the Big Ten announces, and, and look, the Big Ten Let's be honest. It's a snooty conference, you know, that looks down at the SEC and and other leagues uh, because of academics. And there are some great academic institutions in the Big Ten. I mean, Northwestern is an outstanding school. University of Michigan, obviously. Ohio State's a big state-supported school that's got a good academic rep. Purdue, all those schools are good. University of Iowa. Um, but let, let's be honest. I mean, they're, they're big time college football too. I mean, they're, they're not, they, they make more money per school than the SEC. I mean, you know, if, if anybody's guilty of profiteering or anything like that, the big 10 is just as guilty. They just act like they aren't. So it surprised me none that they were the first league. And, and there's some quotes out there that say, well, uh, we were blindsided by this from the other league that the Big Ten just said conference only right after the Ivy League made their decision. You know, they're trying to – it's all a game of optics in college athletics, and it frustrates me because I wish that they would just be like, okay, we want to play a season. Uh, here's how we're going to figure out how to do it. Here's why. You know, instead you get some garbly gook about like, oh, it's safety of our, for the safety of our student athletes and – the science, you know, everybody's talking about the science these days. Science, science, science. It's like a like a bird on the beach or in the marsh or something going science, science, science. You know, uh, it's the same standard line that you get. 
And, and so it really just kind of left everybody wondering why. Because if, you, if you're talking about travel and travel distance, you know, don't, we don't want to put players on airplanes or, or whatever, it doesn't make any sense. Because the Big Ten stretches from Washington, D.C. to Madison, Wisconsin. It stretches from New York City to Lincoln, Nebraska. It's the entire northern fourth of the country. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, it's a haul from New Brunswick, New Jersey uh, to Lincoln. You go and go up through Chicago. I mean, you know, it's a it's a big, vast regional area. Um, just like the SEC, and so you know, you're going to tell Rutgers, you know, they can't. Play. I don't know who Rutgers had on their non conference locally, but let's say Rutgers was supposed to play UConn. You're going to tell them they can't take the bus up to stores to play the Huskies. But, you know, it's fine to get on an airplane and go to Lincoln. You know, so to me, you know, people were thinking travel, travel, travel. I don't think that was the case. And so here's my theory. And and if this is the theory, I'm fine because I want a season to be played. Do I think this is overreacting right now? Yes. Do I think a lot of this – Outrage over the playing of sports is is a little bit overreaction because of COVID nineteen. Yes, uh, do I think we need to be vigilant and careful and and social distance and put in policies to keep everybody safe? Yes, uh, you know do I do I think we should have opened everything back up and just said to hell with it and let's have eighty five thousand in the stands? No, I, I, I do think that this year, regardless of anything, uh, they're going to have to take some precautions. Now, there's a happy medium, though. And you got uh, you got some folks out there, uh, I think some of them that, uh, are called Corona Bros on Twitter, um, and you'll see them. And look, I, I'll tell you this right now, fans, wear, politicizing wearing a mask is dumb. You know, I don't like to wear mine. Nobody likes to wear it. Nobody's comfortable. It's July, and who wants to wear a mask outside? And you really shouldn't wear them outside. You should just wear them when you go indoors because if you jog with a mask on, you're an idiot. Like if you're jogging by yourself and you have your mask on, you're a moron. You're going to die or get seriously injured by something other than coronavirus because you're not getting enough oxygen. You know, if you're out there working out by yourself, take you can take off the mask. But these people that are like, I'm not going to wear a mask because, you know, American rights. Look, man, it's a small price to pay. You know, because what they're going to do is lock everybody back down if the numbers keep going up. And we all know that that could get political as well. Um, so, so wear a mask. So, so do I think, you know, it's, it's feasible, reasonable to have people wearing masks at college games? Yes. Do I, do I think that it's reasonable to cut the crowd size? Absolutely. You know, all those things to me are rational and reasonable. But, 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 but there's people out there that just don't want there to be a season uh, and Clay Travis, uh, who I listen to from time to time, made a good point yesterday when he said they're doing this to rationalize their fears because they've already, you know, come from, oh, we're not going to have any sports ever, you know. Well, they, Major League's playing, Major League Baseball's playing, um, in spite of itself and the long, ridiculous negotiations that, that they had. The NBA's playing in the bubble. I don't care if they keep complaining about the food at Disney. <laughs> NFL has never said once they're not playing. Uh, NHL is going to restart with a tournament. 
and Major League Soccer's restarted. Uh, so, so now they're coming for college football. And what makes this doubly worse is that there are people out there that have a worldview that believe that college football is inherently evil, that there is some sort of like, you know, exploitation of athletes that takes place because of the money in it, that it that is just bad. Okay. And, and to those people, I say this, I do believe that more players should be able to make money off their name, image, and likeness. I, I agree with that rule. I don't know how from a compliance standpoint and competitive standpoint it's going to work. But this is the United States of America, and you're not going to tell the guy on theater scholarship that he's an amateur actor if he goes and does summer stock and does Shakespeare and on a touring company. You know, you're not going to tell the chick that's on the, the violin or cello uh, scholarship in the music school that she can't go out and join a local orchestra and make money. You know, you're not going to tell, you know, the guy that's in law school that he can't go be a paralegal or clerk or make money. I mean, no other students, even if you're on scholarship, are restricted like that. Um, and I do believe strongly that if you're worth it, you should go out and get what you're worth. The problem with this is, is that I think a lot of people are overvaluing what individual players are worth, um, and it's going to lead to rampant overvaluing and cheating. You know, I mean, quite frankly, it's going to it's going to lead to a lot of guys that don't deserve it getting a lot more money just because of the stars by their name or whatever kind of recruit they were out of high school. Now, you know, your Zion Williamsons of the world certainly deserve it. I mean, you know, I think that you know Jadavian Clowney, Trevor Lawrence. You know, you're talking about guys like that. Yeah, even a guy like Travis Etienne who came back to school who's probably going to be a first-rounder, you know, he wants to go to the greater easily, you know, Chevy dealership and cut commercials. I'm all for that, you know. I think that, like I said, it's America, and you should, you should get what you deserve and, and you earn. Um, you know, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause some issues, but I'm all for that. The problem is this. Number one, 97% of the players that play major college sports, and we'll say football and men's basketball, are not going to the NBA or NFL. You know, you have some opportunity in basketball to kind of play overseas if you're good enough. Uh, NFL, you know, maybe you're trying to catch on with one of these leagues, uh, you know, go to Canada and play or whatever. But there are not a ton of jobs available in pro sports, college I mean, pro, you know, NFL, NBA. So you're talking about a very small portion of the players that really, you know, you're sitting there going, now nah, that guy could probably be making three five million a year or more, but he's stuck in college. So, you know, Trevor Lawrence, as I mentioned, Trevor Lawrence, uh, I think Marcus Lattimore after his freshman year, you could have made a, unfortunately in hindsight, a, a very good case that he was ready to go clowny. Um, just here locally, um, you know, maybe Justin Fields. I don't know. I think he's kind of a a guy that's a system type of guy. He's great. He's electric. But, uh, you know, is he Trevor Lawrence? I don't know, you know. Uh, but some guys definitely are ready. And, 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 you know, is it fair for them to delay that kind of, you know, income uh, for three years and, and then, then not let them make any extra money off their current success? No, it's not. But that's 3%, very small percentage uh, of guys. Now, now the rest of the guys, the 97%, am I saying 
they don't deserve any more than they're getting. No, I'm 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 for like upping the the cost of living stipend. Um, one of the guys on our message board on the Big Spur had a good idea: pay them like teachers' assistants in graduate school. You get twenty five to thirty a year. That's a good cut. It probably would not cost, you know, that much when you consider how much athletic programs are generating. Um, you know that that's fine. You know, for, for major college athletics, you know, it's a nice little chunk of the. I mean, you think about it. If in addition to your scholarship, in addition to everything else that you get, you know, you get thirty a year. You add that up over four to five years. It's one hundred twenty, hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know, that's a good, you know, for your third team cornerback, that's a good deal, you know. Um, but nobody ever talks about that. And the 97% that I'm referencing here, nobody ever talks about the fact that a lot of these guys, for them, college football has been overwhelmingly positive. It's It's been something that's gained them notoriety. It's been something that's taught them, you know, like football does. It teaches you life lessons. Uh, and it's led, if you want to just make this very financial, you know, it's led to a lot of good jobs for a lot of players. And we see it now in the coaching ranks. And, and look, folks, major college assistant coaches make between three and $500,000 a year, sometimes more. Okay, look at all the players from the last 25 years that are now assistant coaches. I mean... You know, Tony Elliott up at Clemson, I mean, he's he's a millionaire. He was what? Second string receiver? I guess he started some, was a walk-on. How much has college football changed his life? And Tony Elliott's not going, and when he was a player, he wasn't going, and uh, he wasn't going to be able to put his you know name on a billboard on 123. <laughs> you know, Um uh, you know, you look at a guy like Rodriguez Wilson. Now, Rod played in the NFL, but, you know, Rod's NFL career ended. Now look at his coaching career. You know, Joe Cox definitely wasn't going to play in the NFL uh, after his career at Georgia. Although he wasn't terrible. But look at what he's doing now and how he's able to provide for his family. And you're telling me college football for him wasn't an overwhelming experience. You can get it all the way down to guys. Um, you know, Jay Spearman. Jay Spearman is now a, a director of strength and conditioning at a school. The name escapes me. Um, Jay was often injured at South Carolina. Uh, played through it, got his degree. Now, you know, he's one of the better, from what I've read, strength and conditioning gurus around the state, and he's making money. Perry Orth and Steven Garcia have quarterback camps that bring them money and income and, and help them with their families. There, there's players that go into law and sales and all this other stuff. And I'm not saying that these guys, because most of them are super smart guys anyway and would have been a success at whatever they've done, but college football opened doors for them, okay, that maybe they wouldn't have normally had. And, and, and so you're telling me that, it, you know, just because, oh, the schools are making all this money, uh, these players don't get their fair share. They're oppressed. You know, everybody's oppressed these days, I guess. Um, and some some people have a legitimate gripe about it, quite frankly, but uh, not college football players as a whole. I think I, I think this is not a radical, you know, reformation of the sport. This is a tweak. This is an adjustment in the name of fairness that needs to be made. 
Um, and, and so that's it. So number two on this point to these people that want to tear down college football, um, the, the number two point is this. If you take the top 1,000 recruits in high school football every single cycle and you say you're going to the minor leagues for football, you're going to go play in you know, Duluth, Minnesota, and uh, you know, all these other towns in Canton, Ohio, you, you create a minor league system for football, and you send those recruits there while they develop enough to be in the NFL. Because keep in mind, football is developmental. Very few guys could go to, to, straight to the pros out of, out of high school. It's not like basketball and baseball. It's a different sport, different ball game, completely. Um, you create a minor league. You take those guys. You, you, you just send them, send the top guys to the minors. Okay, so, so that that's it's football, and this is America, and that's going to be somewhat popular. Do you? Th- how many people do you think will be in the stands and watching on TV on a Saturday to see the minor league? team in Canton, Ohio play, you know, Duluth, Minnesota, Rockford, Illinois, or whatever, versus Ohio State and Michigan with lesser talent uh, overall, you know, because the top thousand guys are gone. So, so, So who is going to be making more money if we want to talk about you know, the free market and get what you're worth and all that, because I, I don't think it's about that because the people that are pushing the, 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 the college athletes are oppressed narrative politically are not free marketeers. You know, I believe in name image likeness and all that. Cause I'm, I'm a, I'm a believer in the free market with some adjustments, some times along the way for the greater good of society. But you know, you look at the free market. So let's talk about the free market. You send the top thousand recruits to the minors. You know, to, to all these teams uh, around the country. You know, you, you seventy per team. You know, you got probably twelve, fifteen teams, and you put them in football hotbeds where you know minor league football can draw a crowd. Uh, even after fifteen years of this, where you can kind of get some fans, and and, and you know people are kind of getting tradition or tailgating at the minor league games or whatever, it is going to cut into major college football zero. And here's why. Major college football, college sports in general, have never been about the name on the back of the jersey. Okay? Uh, The NBA, for example, to me, is about great players. It's about LeBron James. Where is he playing? It's about, you know, uh, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, back in my day, you know, it, it's about Kevin Durant. It's about Steph Curry. Um, it's about the Lakers, you know, and, and getting the super teams and all that. And that and, and, and that's fine. And um, and more power to it. You know, is the NFL that way? Kind of, kind of not. Major League Baseball, I think baseball is kind of more individually geared because you know who's you know who's your slugger, who's your pitching staff, and all that. It's more kind of team oriented and stuff. But it's you know you do have superstars. Pro sports about superstars. College sports has superstars, but it's not about that. Now there are exceptions. You know, you look in Columbia a couple years ago. Everybody shows up to see Zion Williamson play. I don't blame you. I remember when I was. You know, uh, uh, little, I guess I was, what, 15 years old. I went to the Carolina Coliseum to play South, see South Carolina play LSU because Shaq came to town. Um, 
that does happen. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, you, you don't have an affinity for individual players, but is it going to help? Is it going to impact the financial aspect of the sport? Which means, are people going to watch on television? And are you going to sell tickets and, and generate revenue? And the answer is absolutely yes. If you took the top thousand recruits in the country every year, sent them to the minors, and then the rest of the, you know, you, you kind of picked from the rest, kind of like baseball. If you adopted a baseball model and said you can go straight to the minors if you want, it would affect college football and major college men's basketball none. Now, in men's basketball, yeah, you, you wouldn't have the, you know, awesomeness of a Zion Williamson playing for Duke or whatever. But I still don't – I mean, you know, when they when they had the situation where guys like LeBron James and Kobe Bryant and Kevin Garnett and all those guys went straight to the pros, it didn't impact the NCAA tournament. The NCAA tournament turned into a billion-dollar-a-year deal. A billion with a B. Because college sports is about the name on the front of the jersey. The money that is generated by college sports is indeed – you know, it doesn't work without the players – but you can find players. You know, it doesn't work, and it becomes untenable, in my opinion, from a financial standpoint, when you take the name off the front of the jersey. Because people are still going to love Ohio State. They're still going to love South Carolina. They're still going to love Georgia. You know, that's where the passion with college athletics is. And, you know, that, that's the case on all levels. You know, down to FCS, Division Two. You know, HBCUs, you know, which uh, are recruiting, I guess now they've gotten some some guys that are getting, giving them some attention and stuff, which I think is good, but I'm not going to get into a whole lot of politics. I'm, and I, I don't even know that that's political. I'm just saying if a kid wants to go to Howard, more power to him. I like HBCU schools. I think that they have some really good athletes, really exciting games, really good coaches and players and people. Um. We all know they have great marching bands and stuff like that, but I, I think that's a that's a that's a brand of football that probably doesn't get enough love, to be honest. But you know, that level, HBCU, FCS, whatever, that's about the name on the front of the jersey. It's about Grambling and, and Southern and, and you know North Dakota State and, and all those. It's not about that, and it's pl- there's plenty of support and. You know, it's more about maybe school size and alumni base, you know, in terms of who the bigger boys are and who aren't, than it is about, you know, star players. You know, and you look, at it's a sliding scale. Thousand top football players go to the minors. Ohio State's still going to get a lot, you know, the cream of that next level. You know, you're still going to, it's still a pecking order in recruiting for the most part these days. And so, so with that said, all right, so, so, so we've established now that, 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 you know, number one, 97% of all experiences in college football of guys that don't go pro are extremely positive. It leads to great paying jobs, and particularly within the game, as far as coaching jobs and, you know, things like that, uh, it enriches lives of families financially. We all know football teaches us lessons and all that. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I think that's something that never gets mentioned. It's, it's all about, well, if Trevor Lawrence gets hurt, it's, it's, a, it's a travesty or, you know, I wouldn't play. I wouldn't play in the bowl game. I wouldn't do this. You know, all this other stuff. And I think some of these people 
when you dig into it and you kind of look under the surface as to what they're saying, I don't think they like the sport. I'll be honest. I think they think it's, you know, violent. And and they think society may be better off without it. Uh, or some think that, you know, the, the, you know, the players should go off and just do their own thing and leave the evil college institutions, you know, to fend for themselves. And um, look, I, I'm not... It's another debate as to whether or not higher education in our country serves the greater good overall. And I think it's a conversation a lot of people need to have. But I do not think that college football is evil. I, I, I just do not think that. I think there are adjustments that need to be made. I don't think you got to blow it up. Now, so, so, so there are people out there that don't want the season to start. You know, your, your folks out there. And, and they didn't want pro sports either. But now it's like, oh, these are just college kids. They're not getting paid. No, but, you know, look, the travel baseball teams are playing all over the country right now, and those guys aren't getting paid. <laughs> they're just they're kid, high school kids, you know. Um, and, and I think, in my opinion, college football players are going to be much safer kind of you know, within the program with access to medical care, you know, with protocols in place, safety protocols in place, uh, all that stuff, than they would be at home. I mean, these guys, you got a hundred and something people, various socioeconomic backgrounds from various neighborhoods that have gotten hit pretty hard from this stuff, you know? And so the same people that are out there you know, screaming about, you know, oh, this is this is this virus it just it hurts the the vulnerable and less fortunate. You know, they don't really think that some of these players, you know, just like in anything in life, you have people from different backgrounds. You have people that, you know, live in house with mom and some family members and, and mom's gotta go to work, you know, and it's virus or not. They don't have the luxury to sit there and, and, and at home and not work or work from the house, you know? So, so, so where's the higher risk is my question. Now, this brings me to another thing, which I think is asinine. And I've been pretty clear about this from the start. I, and this kind of goes back on colleges and universities and sort of the, the optics farce they try to propagate towards all of us is – you know, you kind of look at it, and they're like, well, we're not going to have football if we don't have in-person, on-campus instruction with our students. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so, so what's easier to do? You know, test and, 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 and quarantine and have safety protocols with a football team Probably a football traveling party. Let's say 200, 250 people versus 30,000 college students that don't give a rat's behind about any of this. <laughs> I mean, you have people at Alabama having COVID parties, hoping they all get it. It's the height of, college is the height of irresponsibility, my friends. We've all been there. Those of us that have been to college, you know. I would not give a rat's behunkus about anything. People, they're going to drink. They're going to go hook up with people. They're going to go to parties. They're just going to sneak around and do it. 
it's impossible to police. That's not to mention classrooms are disgusting. Dorm rooms are disgusting. You know, sometimes the places you eat on a college campus, disgusting. You know, and, and it's just, it's, it's you know, realistically, you know, I, I, if we're worried about spreading this thing all over the place, and, and, you know, whether or not that's justified is a different subject, probably, you know, one that you probably need more details to really kind of understand it. Um, and those are not available because you read 35 different studies on this thing. It says 35 different things. I literally read back to back smoking will help ward off the coronavirus, study says. And then I read, study, coronavirus may cause long-term brain damage. And I'm like, wow, you know, and, and I mean, it's just, it, it's crazy. And, and I think that's what makes it scary. But back to the college situation, logically, I would think that students on a college campus would be the last people you'd want to come back if you're wanting to slow the spread. Now, I know that young people generally are not impacted by this. You know, generally, impact. You know, students don't you know, go on a college campus, you know, in their age range. They're not impacted by it. Now you still have professors. Some of them are probably in high-risk groups. And you still have some students who are in high-risk groups. Assuming we know what a high risk group is these days, um, so to me, the fact that they're, they're, they're that's like saying, okay, you know, we're gonna, you know, we're going to, you know, you're going, you're going skiing, right? And you got the bunny slope, and I, you know, I'd have to go down the bunny slope because you know I haven't been skiing in years. That's like saying, okay, I can't imagine us going down the bunny slope without us first going to the top of the mountain and coming all the way down safely. <laughs> I mean, it's moronic. It's moronic. And, look, I don't think there's anything wrong with football players coming to campus and playing a sport while school is not in session or while school is going on remotely because we do it in baseball. You know, school's out beginning of May. Baseball plays for two more months. We do it in other sports. Um, and, I, and quite frankly, I still contend with the virus spreading like it is, football teams kind of in their bubble will be safer than 120 guys in 120 different living situations and, you know, 40 different places, cities across the country. So, you know, it, 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 there's, there's some logic out there that makes no sense. Now, now, I said all that to come turn back around. And say, that's, you know, the the Big Ten, you know, they don't want to be the conference that doesn't serve the, you know, narrative that, you know, colleges are putting sports and profit and money over everything. They don't want to be that way. And so when you look at it, you know, I understand why they jumped the gun on the announcement, um, that's kind of their mo. They they think they are the the Ivy League, you know. And like I said, good academic schools, nothing against them, not trashing them, but not surprising they were the first ones that came out. So, hey, Alexis talking. 
the Alexa came on. I don't know why that was. That was kind of funny, though. Welcome back to the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, folks. Um, all right, so the Big Ten's play. So, so they announced it, right? And so, you know, the ACC report came out quickly because they – I think the ACC kind of fancies themselves as this, you know, higher academic deal. I mean, you, you kind of look at their expansion and how they fought off a perfectly good school like Virginia Tech or fought bringing Virginia Tech in. Um, would never go with West Virginia, which I thought was pathetic, <laughs> you know. And then, uh, I mean, that's the height of elitism, you know. West Vir- does West Virginia not belong in the eighth? No, you, they have to go to the Big Twelve because their academics are bad. Oh, but we're gonna go let Louisville in the conference. <laughs> but they were right behind, and, and nothing officials happened. I talked to some Clemson people the other day. Or yesterday, and it's not official, but they sort of think they're going to go to the not, nothing but conference games, and um, and Notre Dame will have to play in the ACC this year because that's really the only place they can go. Notre Dame right now is like Richard Gear from an officer and a gentleman. I've got nowhere else to go. They've got nowhere else to go <laughs> because the other independents, in my opinion, uh. I think they'll cancel football. Army and your BYUs and I think New Mexico State and UMass and UK. I think I think they'll cancel. There's just not going to be enough to play. If if big conferences aren't going to play the little guys, I mean they're not going to have the money. Um, and so Notre Dame's going to play in the ACC. I think that announcement should come maybe today, maybe tomorrow. The Pac-12 definitely is going to play conference only. Um, according to reports yesterday, Nicole Arbach has been all over this and, and had a, broke the news. She works for The Athletic. Um, hadn't heard much out of the Big 12. Well, the Big 12 could go conference only, and I don't know how. I guess they would just be stuck on nine games because they don't have any other teams. Maybe they let Houston in for a year. I don't know. Um, and then, you know, you have the SEC, which I think Sankey – did a good job kind of announcing that, hey, we're going to wait and see, you know, maybe the SEC, I don't know, maybe they are, are benevolent to the little schools and say, all right, well, we're going to play two little school games and then and then all that. But, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I personally think it's going to be all conference. Now, why do you do this? Why do you do all conference? Because, like I said earlier, it's uh, – you're spread out over the northern part of the country. And I think I said this earlier, but number one, I think the testing protocols, like, you know, when you're talking about the virus or whatever, if you're Michigan and the Big Ten, like you cannot force Notre Dame to adhere to your testing protocols because Notre Dame is not in your league. You know, the smaller schools like South, you know, so you're talking about South Carolina, South Carolina cannot force Coastal Carolina to adopt the SEC testing protocol because it all comes back to money. Coastal doesn't have that kind of money to fork out. And so what you're doing is you're getting some uniformity into this. Okay, you know, here's what we're going to do um, in this situation that you like rules, you know, and the SEC, and since the NCAA doesn't, isn't governing this, um, the conference, up to the conferences to do. So, you know, in other words, 
you know, Greg Sankey can say, okay, here's what we're going to do in case of this many positives. Here's what we're going to do here. Here's the protocol. Here are the rules. This is what you got to do. Now, he can't keep, let's say New Mexico, I think New Mexico State plays Alabama this year. Somebody, some school, pick a pick a small school that's coming to Tuscaloosa. It'll be on at noon on the SEC network. <laughs> And uh, like New I'll use New Mexico State. So, so New Mexico State's coming to Bama. All right, Bama has a lot of players that test positive all of a sudden. You know, not the whole team. They're still gonna be able to field a team, but they're short. Let's say New Mexico State also has some positives, but they don't really. There's no rule that says the guys can't play. So they come to Alabama hoping to win and play their whole team. And then infect the rest of Alabama's team. And then you're looking at some forfeit situations. And I still, even if they came to town trying to do that, and, and I, I, I'm not accusing their coach or anybody's coaches of being unscrupulous because they may not have the testing and may not know. And so in that situation, you know, if you're the SEC, you have two choices. You can either financially underwrite major testing for all the non-conference teams you play, or you can just play your own teams and have a uniform set of standards in terms of that. Number two, I think, with less games, uh, and I do hope they play 10. I mean, I, I, you're not going to see a situation where they play 12 SEC games. I mean, I'm sorry. That's just not – that's a grind, folks. Um, but I do, th- I do hope they play 10, uh, and you spread that out over 14, 15 weeks – you know, that gives you some scheduling options where, you know, if you have a situation where one week, you know, it's just not going to work out for a team, you know, maybe they have 60 70% positives, and this is a worst-case scenario, then you can reschedule. You know, right now, as it stands, there's not anywhere to reschedule unless you, you know, eliminate bye weeks or what. Then you have, then you have to have bye weeks match up and all that. If you're looking at kind of a – spread out like an accordion kind of schedule, uh, I, I think that makes sense. And, and it's easier to accomplish that within the conference because, all right, so, you know, you're, you're playing this team and, you know, these these two teams have to make it up, so where do they make it up? And, you know, then you match it up and move things around. It's easier to do that at the conference level. And it may have to be that way. I mean, we may be looking at, the teams playing every two weeks and them announcing the schedule during the bye week, <laughs> uh, which is crazy, but um, it's one of those things that could happen. That Alexa is about to turn on again. Um, so, so those are the reasons, you know, because and, and, I, I thought travel initially too, but I think if travel was the issue, we'd just do away with conferences and do like the old days and just play teams that were close to you. You know, the game guys would be playing like the North Carolinas of the world and all that. So anyway – Look for a lot of news later today. I want to talk about recruiting a little bit because I, I do think this. I, I think that there are certain parts, and I know South Carolina's class doesn't rank really high right now, and you know they're kind of looking for some players, some upside guys. They're taking a lot of athlete types, which I don't blame them because if, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna have to go and find guys, or if I'm gonna miss, or I'm gonna go down swinging, so to speak, on the recruiting trail, I'm going down swinging with quick twitch athleticism and speed. You know, and I'll, I'll use Corey Banks as an example, who's a must-champ's first class. You know, must-champ gets to campus, and, 
you know, Banks did have some interest from Alabama, off of North Carolina, all that, and he could fly. Now, there's some issues with his hands that maybe went a little undetected. Um, you know, he probably wasn't a defensive back like his dad was. So so he was he was a miss in recruiting, but heck, I don't I don't blame Muschamp and those guys from signing him because if if you're gonna miss him, I'm gonna go down swinging with speed. Because you never know. Speed's very important. Um, so I know all this, but but I, I'll say this, and I'm, I'm going to focus on the defensive line. You know, South Carolina's located in defensive line heaven. Um, you do have a good group of defensive linemen within the state. T.J. Sanders from Marion already has committed. Um, Nick Barrett, who they got out of North Carolina. I, I don't I don't care what anybody says, and and I've done this for a long time, and. I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong again. But uh, I do think that, uh, in my opinion, Nick Barrett's a top one, top one hundred player in the country. In my opinion, I think um, I think that that you look at him, you know, his size. Uh, not really a fat guy. Long arms, quick, tough. Honor student at Goldsboro High School on top of all that. I just think this guy, had he gone to camps, South Carolina may not even have him right now because I think that, you know, he'd have 20, 30 offers. I don't know why North Carolina didn't offer him. That may be one that they regret, you know, because you compare him to a guy like Miles Murphy, the North Carolina Miles Murphy they got last year. Some of those, you know, those two defensive tackles they got out of Charlotte last year. Man, I'd, I'll take Nick Barrett over those guys. And, and I would say that if Nick Barrett were going to North Carolina and those other guys were going to South Carolina, I'm not being a homer here. Now, that's my opinion. Like I said, I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again. But I think Nick Barrett's a stud. I think T.J. Sanders, when you – and Charles Power said this on the BigSpur.com the other day. I think when you look at his basketball ability and his overall athleticism and the fact he hadn't played a whole lot, uh, and then kids from that part of the state, the PD, um, a lot of them just end up really working out well, you know, if you think about that part of the state and kind of your under-the-radar guys. So I, I think he's got a lot of upside. I think South Carolina moving forward, you know, Tyrone Ingram Dawkins from Gaffney, um, who if you if you haven't watched this, Will Muschamp retweeted it the other day and uh, Keith Alsup's been talking about it too on his podcast, but you know, he's in three. You know, Dawkins is in three feet of water, right? Uh, and keep in mind, this kid just measured in. He measured six three two forty at Carolina's camp last summer. Recently, he just measured in six five and a half two ninety eight. So he's two hundred ninety eight pounds. He's standing in three feet of water in a pool, flat footed. He jumps up on the side of the pool. Now, are you telling me that that's not great athleticism and explosiveness? Heck, yeah, it is. So I think he's a very, very important guy in state. Um, disappointed that the the, the the tight end from Rock Hill is going to Alabama, but uh, I got a call from a source down in Alabama a couple of weeks ago, and they, they Saban watched his film, and they, they like him. They were just kind of wondering about his hands. Um, and then Virginia Tech's kind of been all over him. He's one that, you know, you sort of, you know, because when, when all this recruiting started, Carolina, I was told Carolina was behind for him 
but they were hopeful they could get them to visit and kind of turn the tide. But uh, no pun intended there on the tide. But, you know, it's not meant to be. And, you know, right now you're going to, you, you know, you lose a guy to Alabama, tight end. I think they're going to be fine at tight end. I think they'll get Jamar Nesbitt's kind of kid. Um, you know, that's tough. But, you know, we'll see kind of what happens. Um, I am actually surprised and happy from a Gamecock perspective that Alabama has not taken more players out of the state of South Carolina. Because if you think about it, there's Chris Bonds, John Fulton, Stephon Wynn, and then there'll be this kid. Oh, and the, the linebacker from Conway that nobody recruited that Bama ended up getting, he's playing special teams. So five guys in the Saban era, and Bonds didn't really work out. Fulton was a backup. Haven't heard much about Wynn. I think he's kind of in the rotation. The linebacker from Conway actually is playing a lot on special teams. Um, and then this guy. Alabama's only two states away, so, you know, you got to kind of <laughs> – I mean, they've been recruiting like a machine, so, you know, you got to kind of be happy about that. Um, you know, so, so 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 I think back to the defensive line, I think it's important to get Ingram Dawkins. I think Justice Boone, uh, the kid from Sumner committed to Florida right now, is probably a 50-50 flip candidate. As is the case with all of these guys, though, that, that are out there that haven't committed, it's very important for South Carolina, I think, to, to get visits back going. And, and here's why. The Gamecocks face a lot of headwinds for 2021. The state's not that deep. Well, you got a lot of competition in North Carolina all of a sudden from North Carolina, which wasn't there previously. Um, you went 4-8. and eight. Will Muschamp is on every hot seat list in the country. There's a lot of negativity. Um, social media and elsewhere surrounding the program. Well, how you combat that is, and, and this staff is good enough at doing it, is you get kids to come visit and you got that in-person time and they get there and they go in the, the building and they see the building, which is awesome, and they see how you work and they get comfortable with you and they go, well, you know, everything we've heard is not true. You know, everything we've heard, you know, because I'm here and I'm seeing it for myself, it opens my eyes. You know, you've seen recruits say that. This opened my eyes. Well, it's hard to have your eyes open when you're sitting there over Zoom, no matter how good of a recruiter Will Muschamp and his staff are. You know, it's just – and people were like, well, every other school's had to deal with COVID. Yes, but every other school isn't sitting there facing the headwind South Carolina is. You know, Tennessee won their last six games last year. Now the best team they beat, you know – Maybe you could make a case for Kentucky because they ended up being pretty good, but the best team they beat going down the stretch were the Gamecocks. You know, uh, if you really get down to it. I mean, record-wise, I know Missouri had a better – but anyway, look, they didn't really beat anybody, okay? They beat Kentucky because they always beat Kentucky. You know, other than that, I'd say the South Carolina win was their most impressive. I mean, Indiana – is a better team than normally Indiana is, and they beat them in the bowl by a point and rallied. But they've taken that and turned it into huge momentum. I mean, they're not facing headwinds like they could have been had, you know, the loss to Georgia State and loss to BYU and the, the fact they couldn't cross the 50 before they played Carolina. Had that been how the season played out at Tennessee? So... You know, that's why they're recruiting well. Mac Brown, and for those of you that scoff at minor bowl games, you know, you're, you're scoffed at the Birmingham Bowl. 
Muschamp's first year. Mac Brown took a team with low expectations, scratched out a six and six record, went to the military bowl and blew Temple away, and now they have all the Mac momentum in the world. You know, sometimes those things like that can help. Those things that we kind of take for granted, especially early in a tenure. I don't think anybody's going to be celebrating a return of the Birmingham Bowl this coming season, if it happens. But, you know, we, 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 you look at it, those schools have momentum. Obviously, Clemson's got a ton of Clemson and Georgia, and all those teams do too. South Carolina, no momentum. Think back to their last two games. That was the least competitive I think I've ever seen the Gamecocks. Or, or since probably since 98, 99. But even in 98, 99, there were games, and I, like the, the Kentucky game in 98, the Ole Miss game in 98, those were sort of like a five and two point game. Clemson was a nine point game, but they were terrible too. 99, you know, prob- probably since nine, nine, that 99 team was rarely competitive. You know, when Phil Petty came back, they played Florida pretty good, found something on defense. Actually, their most competitive games in all the losses were Clemson and NC State. So probably since that year, have I ever seen a multi-game stretch? I, I don't know. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go to, I, I won't go that far back. I'll go 2008. Gamecocks were, were what, 7-3. and three. They played Florida. Lost fifty six to six, played at Clemson. They lost thirty one to fourteen, which set in motion a chain of events that a lot of Gamecock fans, <laughs> you know, were probably sitting there regretting. Um, and then they played Iowa in the Outback Bowl, and I was at all three of those games. By the way, we had the second year of the Big Spur. I was I was on the stands all three of those games, and we're, they were not competitive in any of them. So. You'd have to go back to that three-game stretch, in my opinion, to find a worse stretch of football when you're talking about the Gamecocks and how they ended it. I mean, you know, yeah, they played pretty good on defense at A&M sometimes. You still lost 30-6. to Clemson, I mean, I, I think some people, and, and I agree with this, at times the defense played well against Clemson, but you still just weren't even competitive. Neither one of those games was competitive. I know A&M was a 10-point game going into the fourth quarter. It wasn't competitive. Nobody nobody thought the game was And you lose 30-6, 38-3. I mean, it's kind of sad. You know, so, so those are headwinds that they're facing. And when you got those kind of headwinds and you got a lot of new coaches, you know, Des Kitchings, Tracy Rocker, Joe Cox, Mike Bobo, those guys can all recruit. I don't care what anybody says about Tracy Rocker, the guy can recruit. Um, but you don't have – there's been no in-person time and contact with those guys. You know, so, you know, that, that that's kind of the deal, you know, and, and, and that's why, you know, all COVID restrictions when it comes to college football recruiting are not created equally because basically time froze, you know, and, and, and there's no movement. You know, it's just everybody's just kind of stuck, and um, and that's it. Now – Am I blaming COVID for the Gamecocks not having a highly ranked recruiting class down? No. This was self-inflicted because there was no excuse for the 4-8 record last year. I don't care what anybody says. There was no excuse for going 4-8 in year four. That team was much better than 4-8. You can ask the Georgia Bulldogs about that. There was, it was just a dumpster fire 
from the get-go. And for the second straight year, the Florida game took the soul out of the team. You know, for the second straight year, losing a fourth-quarter lead against the Gators, who aren't that much better than the Gamecocks, folks, took the soul out of the team. Um, And then I'll – you know, the Tennessee-Missouri games were inexcusable losses. App State, inexcusable loss. North Carolina, inexcusable loss. But anyway, so so we look at it and we kind of see what, what happened and, and there's no momentum. But recruiting to me, I think, getting back to the point, I think you got to go try to flip Justice Boone, get him back on campus. Got to get the Dawkins kid. That will give you Barrett, Boone, Sanders, Dawkins, and maybe some other guy that you come up with. Maybe Kevin Gilliam comes your way or something. That's another really good defensive line class to come in behind Jordan Birch, Boogie Huntley, Taka Hemingway, and those guys. Um, and I think that would be outstanding. I mean, I think that, you know, you're not necessarily guaranteed to win if you have a great defensive line. But if you don't have a great defensive line, you're going to find it awfully hard to stop people in the SEC. You can ask Lorenzo Ward in 2014 about that. <laughs> I mean, and bad D-line, bad secondary, just a bad defense that year. But anyway, all right, well, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, it is Friday, so you'll have the weekend to kind of listen to me blabber. Um, I'll be back. We'll talk more. This is the Inside the Game Guys podcast. Please go on the iTunes store and rate this highly if you like it. If you don't like it, spare me the negative reviews. Uh, I don't want my feelings to be hurt. I'm just kidding. You can say whatever you want. Um, also, catch me every Wednesday on JB and Goldwater. It's live streamed. Uh, across the internet you can get it on youtube or whatever i go on at 12 30 eastern time every wednesday be sure to check out the we're still rocking and rolling on the website um even with the season kind of in in in, in peril uh or in question i don't know if in peril would be the last season was in peril this season is in question in question and in peril so we'll do that um you know, and, and we'll keep you updated. Look for some news later today on college football. This is J.C. Sherbert. This has been Inside the Game, Cox. Have a great weekend, everyone. Holla at you soon.